Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. And that was the beginning of what you call racial ideology where, well, wait a minute, whether you're Irish or Italian or, or Eastern European or whatever, no, no, you're white. Because you have to remember, in Europe, people saw their race not as their skin color, but as someone from a different nation. So if you were Irish, you viewed the British as a different race and vice versa. And you, don't, you didn't come, well, we're all white people. It was those British or those Irish or those Italians. And so when you get here, for example, when you have the large influxes of people from other countries, you don't have the Italians and the Irish meeting each other here saying, well, you know, we're all white folks. Let's get together. They fought like dogs. And the Irish called, had nasty names for the Italians, and the Italians had nasty names for the Irish. And they fought. But the racial ideology was meant to say, well, now, wait, 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 wait. That's okay, but don't ever fight with the blacks. Don't ever side with them, because they're a different breed. But I mean, you all are familiar with Othello, right? Why didn't William Shakespeare do a, a play about Othello saying, well, now, you know he was black, so he was oppressed, and he was downtrodden, and, and you know, nobody liked him. You know, there's no race in, in Othello. Because people weren't thinking about that. It wasn't something they were caught up in. As, as I've explained before, when, when one people feels the need to oppress each other, they develop an ideology to justify that oppression. And that's true across all racial and cultural lines. It doesn't really matter what the background or skin color of people are. It's what they do. It's the sinful nature of human beings expressing itself. Amen? Amen. 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 That's why I, you all hear me. I prefer to use European, Americans of European descent or of Italian or Irish or, or Eastern European or Ukrainian or whatever it is. And, and Americans of African descent or Americans of Asian descent because we're, you know, wherever we came from, we're all Americans now. And, and that's, look, actually, if Dr. King said this originally, I've adapted it. But, you know, as preachers sometimes do, you know, they say the first time you hear preachers say something, you repeat it and you say, well, as as Reverend Smith has always said. And then the next time you say it, as I've heard someone say, and then the third time you say, it, as I always say. So <laughs> it's a little friendly, friendly plagiarism. But I think it was Dr. King who was the first one who said, you know, our ancestors may have come on different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. And and, and you know. We don't want to sink the boat. Amen? Because <laughs> we sink the boat. Guess what? We all go down in the boat. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, so at any rate, all, all of that, believe it or not, was about freedom. <laughs> Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Isaiah 61.1, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim what? Liberty to the captives. Jeremiah 34.17 God says, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Galatians 5.1, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. See, where did this concept 
of inherent human freedom come from? The word of God. They didn't conjure that up out of their own imaginations. They got it from the word of God, which says that God intended us to be free. Now, you all know that when the Constitution was ratified on September 17th of 1787, it did not have a Bill of Rights. The first 10 amendments we call the Bill of Rights. The first and second are the most famous, you know, the right to freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, and the second, the right to the, the, the freedom to bear arms. And by the way, this idea that, well, it's different now, and the founding fathers, if they had known what weapons they have now, they wouldn't have put that in there. That's silly. Because here's what the founding fathers understood. Governments can go awry. And that human beings should always be in the position to defend themselves. I mean, we've seen it on the local level, right? Where a city, if you happen to be a law-abiding citizen minding your business like that couple was, and a mob comes on your property, there are no police there to defend them. And, and frankly, you know, they're, they're in trouble now for having brandished weapons, but if they hadn't brandished those weapons, they might have been dead by now. That's what held the mob at bay. Our founding fathers understood that ultimately your last line of defense for your safety is you. And that's what the Second Amendment is all about. It's not about hurting people. And it's true, we, we have a lot of guns in America because this is a frontier culture. And you weren't going out west. I mean, when you, anybody pioneering the west, you, you made sure that you had food and water and clothing and a gun. You better have something to protect yourself. Because there are bears out there, and there, there are natives out there who may or may not care for you. You've got to defend yourself and your family and your own life. And there was no sheriff to call. We were talking about this because a guy who gave me a ride this weekend um, is a cowboy. I mean, a real cowboy. He said, I wanted to be a cowboy since I was a, since I was a kid. He said, and I, I worked two newspaper routes to buy some cowboy boots and some dungarees and a cowboy hat. He said, and as soon as I got old enough, he said, I started rodeo. He said, actual guy rides, doesn't do it anymore, but used to ride bulls and, and ride bronking buckos and all of that. And, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, in the West, before there was law and order established, people were their own law and order. And I said, you know, you steal cattle and a horse, you're going to get hung. Now, I'm not saying that was right. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that you know, Whoever you stole it from, they caught you. They were going to deal with you themselves. There was no sheriff to call. Uh, I, I said that simply to say, when you're pioneering a wild country, it creates a certain culture that requires that people be capable of defending their own lives and the lives of their families. That's still very much a part of our culture. You know, believe it or not, I, I, I probably never said this to you before, but, you know, particularly in inner cities, we know we got to get everybody on the subways. We got to get everybody on the buses. We, you know, we got to do away with all these cars. You know what I've often said? Cars are like Americans' horses. I want to have my own. Don't take, you, you're not taking my horse. <laughs> and you can't separate Americans from their cars. Uh-uh. There's no way. Amen. But, but look, the Bill of Rights was hotly debated. And initially, James, Adams, uh, James, Adams, James Madison, called the father of the Constitution, was against it. And here's why he was against it. He said, because if you, if you name the rights, you are implying that that's all there are. 
He said, and the fundamental rights that God gives should never be limited to a simple list. Ultimately, he came around and realized, I, I think the better argument was, no, we need a bill of rights because there are certain things that are so fundamental that you simply need to set them forth. And of course, a couple years later, the bill of rights was passed and became part of the Constitution. Uh, and by the way, can I just use this as a footnote to say, this freedom and these fundamental rights, they believe, were given by God. And the Supreme Court has now taken upon itself to expand what I believe the fundamental rights are that God gave us and created what I call fake rights that the Supreme Court gives us. So see, the right to an abortion is a fake right. That's not a fundamental right God gives anybody. Yo, God gave you the right to kill your baby. No. That's, that's a fake right. The, the, the right to a same-sex marriage is a fake right given by the Supreme Court. That's not a fundamental right that God gave. God didn't give that as a fundamental right. Amen? The founding fathers understood that fundamental rights inherent to who we are as human beings. Now, the right to freedom of conscience, the right to speak, the right to travel, to, to govern my own affairs, the right to privacy, to be secure in my pro property, in my persons. You know, there, there are certain fundamental rights inherent to who I am as a human being. You start spinning out all these other rights, and guess what you need? Government to control people to make sure that they're enforced. And that's exactly what the founding fathers did not want. Principle number four, I'm running a little late, so let me get through this quickly. Principle number four, which is probably something you don't expect me to say, and it's forgotten, but principle number four was virtue. The founding fathers believed that you couldn't have freedom without moral virtue. You say, well, Bishop, how virtuous could they be? I mean, after all, this is what's always brought up. They had slavery. Well, how virtuous are we? I mean, how many of you as Christians have ever, as you've grown in your Christian walk, realized that you've had blind spots? You know what I mean by blind spots? In other words, you're a Christian, you love the Lord, you want to do what's right, but you realize one day, you know what, that attitude or that, that approach or that, you know, that, 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 that wasn't, that, that's not really consistent with who God wants me to be. And you didn't really think about it in Christian terms. Sometimes it takes maturity and growth and revelation, which is what happened to the founding fathers, by the way. They grew in their understanding of, 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 the, of the, the inherent evil of slavery, and for the most part came to condemn it. The only states that remained pretty recalcitrant, both in the Declaration and in the Constitution, were Georgia and North Carolina. South Carolina, sorry. Sorry, North Carolinas. South Carolina and Georgia. They were hardcore, okay? But, the, but think about this. When the nation was formed, 11 of the 13 colonies wanted to include a denunciation and an outlawing of slavery. How often do you hear that? 11 out of 13. So, well, Bishop, then why did they do it? Because they knew to fight Great Britain, they needed everybody. And they compromised. And so what they did was they put it off. And they kept putting it off. And they kept putting it off. And until ultimately there was a civil war and you couldn't put it off anymore. But look, this idea... Understand something. The moral conscience of this nation caused slavery to be a matter of debate from the moment it started. There's never a moment in American history when slavery is not hotly debated. Where there are not voices saying, this is wrong. It's inconsistent with who we are. Well, if we're such a racist nation, why are there voices speaking against it? But you don't hear about that. 
Because there's a narrative that people want you to believe. America's bad, America's evil, America's no good, America's always oppressed black people. What about all the good, decent people who have done so much to try to help obtain liberty for every American? Do you know almost a third of those lynched by the Ku Klux Klan during the lynching period were white people? Who dared stand up for the rights of black folks? What about them? Why don't they count? Why, doesn't, why isn't that an expression of America? By the way, I just to get it in here, it was a Democrat who literally, almost single-handedly, resurrected the Ku Klux Klan by the name of Woodrow Wilson. Recommended the nation pay attention to this heroic group and watch their movie, Birth of a Nation. And it was a Republican by the name of Ulysses Grant that decimated the Ku Klux Klan, outlawed it, passed laws to outlaw it, outlaw it, and used the army to stop them and put many of them in prison. Won't hear that in part of our history either. I don't say that to, to laud Republicans and condemn Democrats. I just say it to show our history is not the narrative that people want to paint it to be. Of, well, you know, everybody's been always against any kind of equality or any kind of freedom for certain people in this country. It's just not true. Amen. Amen. And, and, and we need to teach our children the truth about our country so they can have hope instead of feeling like they're living in a nation of despair where there's no hope for them. Because all the forces are against them. Look, John Adams said our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. George Washington said of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And by the way, he gave he, some notes he gave, didn't use this in his, uh, his farewell address, but he talked about the danger, greatest danger to the country, he said, was moral corruption and overwhelming ambition. In other words, people want power so much that they'll do anything to get it and keep it. Thomas Jefferson in Notes on Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, again, pulling his statues down. Here's what Thomas Jefferson said. He said, can the liberties of the nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God? They are not to be violated, but with his wrath. And he's talking about slavery here now. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever, and that supernatural interference may become probable, for the Almighty cannot side with slavery. Amen. Fifth principle, truth. Truth. Jesus said, you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Our founding father said, we hold these, not opinions, but truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by our creator. And now we're living in an age where people are telling us there is no truth. There's just your truth and my truth. And you know, you hear people on television talk about this, they say, well, that was her truth. And it could be some of the dumbest stuff you ever heard, but that was his truth. No, there's the truth, amen? There's just, I mean, what, what dummy would go up on top of a building and say, well, you know what, it's my truth that gravity doesn't work, and jump. It works. It's the truth. And you're going to go splat. 
And the fact of the matter is, American culture is not perfect. But here again, this idea that, well, you know, cultural relativism and no culture is better than another, really? Go down here to some of these aboriginal cultures in South America and Africa. Some of them, I, I hope it's ended now, but in recent years, still, head, still head hunting, Still cutting people's heads off and shrinking them. As, as, to use as some kind of talisman or power over your enemy. Go to Haiti and see how much voodoo they're practicing there. I mean, you go all over the world and see all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, some of this weird stuff coming out of China because of pagan culture. Look, a culture based upon Christianity is going to be better than a culture based upon paganism. It is just that plain and simple because one is rooted and grounded in truth and the other is rooted and grounded in falsehood. And if blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, then cursed is the nation whose God is not. Amen? All right, let me take, take the last few moments to say, okay, what do we do, Bishop? That if, if those are the foundations how, and, and they're being eroded, how do we get them back? How do we bring them back? Psalm 11.3 says that the foundations be destroyed. What shall the righteous do? So, Bishop, what, what, what are we as Christians supposed to do? Here's number one. Number one, we've got to stand up for what I just told you. Black, white, Hispanic, however you want to designate it, Americans of... African descent, European descent, Irish, Italian, uh, uh, Eastern European, Russian, Asian, Indian, whatever our backgrounds, we got to stand up for the fact that this is a Christian nation. Amen. And we've got to not be ashamed to assert that. And then begin to ask the question, is what I'm looking at, is that an expression of those Christian values? Well, well may, oh, then, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, that's not good for us then. Okay. Is this, is this movement an expression of our Christian values? Well, well, no. well wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not, no, we are a Christian nation. That is the foundation of our nation. When we move away from that, we move away from our future. We move away from our prosperity. We move away from our well-being as a nation. We move away from our ability to unify as a nation. Because if, if, if a person's identity is in their skin color, that's who they are, that automatically says they're divided from everybody else. I mean, doesn't it? If that's what we're going to base the nation on, then we're looking, folks, we're looking for some bad times. We say in the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, because until we're one nation under God, there's not going to be any indivisibility Unity, there's not going to be liberty and justice for all because what you're going to have is everybody fighting for their little piece of the pie and fighting for the crumbs that the government dispenses to us all. So we've got to, we've got to assert that without apology. And I know that the separation of church and state people go crazy when they hear me say it, but it's still the truth. And it's, it's a cultural truth. I'm not saying it's a legal institutional truth. It's a cultural truth about the nature of our country. Amen? Amen. Amen. The preamble to the Constitution says this. We the people. That's the other thing we've got to assert. That the ultimate sovereignty of this nation is in us. Not in politicians. It's in us. And I think, you know, the... the, the, the ease with which people started obeying and complying with the orders that were being given by governors and mayors, let me know that people don't understand this. That the Constitution 
preamble begins with we the people, not we the politicians, not we the elites, not we the corporate leaders, but we the people. And it says, look at this, in order to form a more perfect union. Now, you know, that in itself ought to tell you something, that they knew it wasn't perfect. But they said, but we want it to become perfect. We want to keep striving toward that. And they said, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and look at this, secure the blessings of liberty. We've got to come back to this Constitution. We've got to come back to the values that it enunciates. Look, and, and, and I love this language, which is seldom pointed to, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. You know, to ordain means to set something apart or someone apart for a sacred purpose. They said, we ordain this Constitution. You know what that tells me? They saw this as an expression of the will of God for the future of this nation. We ordain this Constitution. Amen? And look, so I say, here's what they were saying in my words. We the people by this sacred covenant the Constitution of the United States, the sacred covenant, are hereby securing the blessings of liberty given to us by Almighty God. Now the thing is, saints, is there anywhere in there that says that preamble, that Constitution does not apply to certain people? So the issue is not whether the document is good. Frederick Douglass said it was good. Martin Luther King said it was good. The issue is how accurately and diligently and vigilantly do we apply it? Amen. You know, when Dr. King stood on the steps of the, of the, of the Lincoln Memorial, he said, we have come to, to, to our nation's capital to cash a check. That when the founding fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, they were writing a check to which every American would fall heir. How different is that than we need to tear the whole thing down? How different is that? How, how we left those majestic words for this nonsense that we're hearing, no, the system needs to be brought down. And you know what he also said that we forget? He said, I have a dream. He said, and it is a uniquely American dream. Y'all remember that? He didn't say it's a dream that can't be fulfilled in America. He said, it's an American dream. In other words, it expresses the very best that this nation claims to represent. That my four little children will one day be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. See, that's what it means to be a nation of individual liberty. See, where the individual matters. Do you realize in China, in India, in other places in the world, individuals don't matter? Only the collective matters, which is why communism has killed 100 million people, because the individual doesn't matter. It's only the collective that matters. So if you have to kill a few thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions in order to affect this utopia, that's okay. You know what the American principle of, 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 of our criminal justice system is here again. I know it's flawed. I know it's, it, make, it can make mistakes. But you know, as, a, as somebody who practiced law, do you know what the, 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 the guiding principle of our criminal justice system is? And we've forgotten it. We would rather let the guilty go free 
than convict the innocent. How often do you hear that today? That's a guiding principle of our criminal justice system. But you, here again, this nation that people are being taught to hate, what we've got to do is come back to these principles upon which this nation was built, as Dr. King called us to do, because therein lies the hope for our future. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The word of God says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. The word of God says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Saints, we have not prospered as a nation because we've been perfect. If that were the, if that were the basis, we shouldn't exist anymore. We have prospered as a nation not because we've been the most exploitive nation and we've been the most horrible nation and we've mistreated Native Americans and we've mistreated black Americans. And all. No, it's because we've been a nation of faith. And just like for you and me, God has looked beyond our faults and seen our needs. That's what you want him to do for you, isn't it? How many of you want God to say, Lord, don't, don't, don't look at what I'm trying to do. Don't look at my highest aspirations. Just look at all the wrong stuff I've done and respond to me like that. And yet that's what some people want for America. Lord, don't look at any good thing. Don't look at the fact that we beat back the vicious Nazis who would have turned the whole world into slaves. Don't look at the fact that we've tried to do right. We've acknowledged the wrongs done to our citizens of African descent and acknowledge the wrongs of slavery and we're trying to correct that. No, 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 don't look at that, Lord. Just look at the wrong stuff what we've done and condemn us. Is that how you want God to treat you? Huh. Not me. You can have that kind of justice if you want it, but I want some mercy. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, American history teaches these foundational principles if we were studying it right. And American history should be the context for understanding who we are. And instead, the left has used it as a pretext for condemning who we are. American history should be a moral platform for building a more virtuous and victorious nation. And the left uses it as a mud pit for wallowing in the past mistakes of our nation. According to the left and their political arm, the Democrat Party, American history is the story of evil people, particularly white people, because, you know, evil has a race. Yeah, I know I said it and I mean it because that's how absurd it is. That's how absurd it is. That's how wicked and twisted and evil it is. Evil has a race, according to the left, and it's white people, particularly white men. Every Christian ought to hear that. It ought, to make your, made it, ought to make your godly blood boil. Because you know what the word of God teaches. There is none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And why is that so different than the wrong stuff that was done by Africans to Africans and Asians to Asians, Europeans to Europeans? It's no different. It's just 